Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, and Ketotarian. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center that we have, the books, and there's lots of free resources there for you as well, you can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's dr W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. And my fourth book is for pre-order right now. It comes out in early 2023, but we're giving away tons of free stuff and you get to be a gut feelings insider VIP for completely free when you pre-order gut feelings right now. So all that information is at drrealcool.com. The book is all about the bi-directional relationship between mental health and physical health. So we're talking about gut, i.e. physiological health, and feelings, the psychological, mental, emotional, spiritual side of things. So it's something that I see on an hourly basis play out in people's lives when I'm consulting them at the Functional Medicine Telehealth Center. So anyways, check it out right now. It's for pre-order, gut feelings. And listeners of The Art of Being Well, we are giving away free signed books. If you head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Art of Being Well there, tell us what you love about the show. And every month, no matter when you listen to this episode, my team and I will be going through the Apple Podcast reviews and randomly picking winners. I'll reach out to you, ask you which book you want to have signed, and I'll send it to you personally. So you could do it two different ways. You can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review. Or you can screenshot your Apple podcast review and message me over on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. And I'll be going through my messages on Instagram and the Apple podcast reviews every month. And we'll be randomly picking winners and sending out free signed books. All right, let's get to today's guest. She's a dear friend of mine. Her name is Melissa Urban. She's been on the show before. So if you, after today's episode, go back and listen to, it was actually one of the first episodes ever of 
the podcast. She was one of the first guests. Her name is Melissa Urban. You all know her, right? She is a legend. She is the Whole30 co-founder and CEO and an authority on helping people change their relationship with food, set boundaries, and create lifelong healthy habits. After overcoming a five-year drug addiction in 2000, she adopted a growth mindset, dove into fitness, and began to study nutrition. In 2009, she self-designed a 30-day dietary experiment and saw unexpected and life-changing physical, mental, and emotional benefits. A few months later, she blogged about the experiment and invited her readers to give it a try, calling the program The Whole30. Melissa is a multiple-time New York Times bestselling author, including the number one bestseller, Whole30, of course. She's been featured on the Today Show, Good Morning America, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and CNBC. She is ranked 19 on greatest top 100 most influential people in health and fitness. And she is also the author of the brand new book, The Book of Boundaries, Set the Limits That Will Set You Free. And that's what we're going to get into in today's conversation. Stay tuned through the entire conversation because at the end, I'll answer another one of your burning health questions and then ask me anything. All right. This is Melissa Urban's Art of Being Well. My friend, thanks for coming on the pod again. I know. I haven't seen you in person in so long. I know. And we haven't stopped talking since I walked in the door. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to get two friends catching up in real time. Yeah. Live, completely yeah. live. How have you been? Good. Things are really good. New book is coming out. Whole30 is rocking. We're in the middle of the September Whole30 right now. Chipotle just released their third Whole30 bowl. So I just went to Chipotle nice. to like film some content on the street, which was really fun. So what's in the Chipotle bowl, the new one? They released a new limited edition garlic guajillo steak. Nice. Yeah. So it's the super greens and all the like Whole30 fixings, tons of guac, you know, the deal. But now there's like a third protein option, which is so fun. I love it. Yeah. So is it in all locations? Yes, all locations. So I, I can don't get it in the middle long. of Pennsylvania? Yeah, everywhere. <laughs> okay. But I don't know how long it will stick around. Their limited time tends to, it like really is a limited time. So yeah. if, if it's still going, yeah. go get it. I love it. Yeah. I miss the cauliflower rice. They, they don't have that anymore. I know. That was also a limited time yeah. thing. And I think it was really popular. And I don't know, maybe they just take it away to yeah. bring it back and like to great fanfare. <laughs> I don't know how that works. But this book, we were talking before we started recording that I haven't seen you in person in a while and you were privately working on a book that I didn't know until yeah. the world knew. So yeah. what, what's the genesis of this amazing book? I know I, I couldn't, I didn't, I like have been working on it for so long, but yeah. you can't really talk about it too early. You yeah. know, you sort of have to wait and it, you know, it's killing you not to talk yeah, about it. Yeah. But in the middle, October, 2020, I woke up in the middle of the night with a fully formed book proposal. I was going to write a book about boundaries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been talking about boundaries since the earliest days of Whole30, since mm -hmm. day one, because on the yeah. Whole30, it's an elimination diet. So you say no a lot for those yeah. 30 days. And people really struggled with how to say no to like alcohol at happy hour or mm -hmm. mom's pasta or pizza at the birthday party. Yeah. So I helped them figure out the right language to hold their health commitments. And I think once people figured out that I was really good at helping them say no to that stuff, they started coming to me and saying, what about my like mother-in-law who's always dropping by without calling or my coworker who's like so pushy or my nosy neighbor. And I started helping them with boundary scenarios in other areas of their life. And then the pandemic hit and we all realized that we had no boundaries and everything, work and home and life and school were all mm -hmm. like running together. Yeah. And in October, 2020, I said, I'm gonna write a book on it. I had done so much community research and my own research at mm -hmm. that point, And I felt like I had a lot to say. 
Yeah. Oh, just knowing you, this book makes complete sense. It is, it's such yeah. a part of your ethos and who you are and to educate people and empower people with stuff that you've learned makes complete sense. I'm so excited yeah. it's out in the world. You have a book, baby. I know. That's I'm really, so cool. my first not Whole30 book too, which yeah. is Is that scary for you? No, it's not scary at all. Okay. I'm really excited about it. I feel very, I go through this like long, extensive process when I write a book mm -hmm. to determine how I feel about the book before I put it out so that mm -hmm. no matter what criticism or praise I receive, it sort of doesn't affect how I think about it and my worth yeah. and my value. But it's a little weird to be doing something that is not directly related to Whole30 because I've been doing that full-time since 2009. So yeah, it was, yeah. It, it was definitely trippy. Yeah, so that work, maybe going back to that, how, what does that work look like to go through it beforehand? If I'm going to put this out here, I don't want it to be added to my worth or value. Yeah. What does that look like? I mean, my, I learned this in practice and therapy many, many years ago. And what it looks like is for me to evaluate the book as a work. And I look at it and I say, is it good? Did mm -hmm. I work as hard as I could have on it in, mm -hmm. in a way that fit my own capacity? Yeah. Did I say what I wanted to say? Did I, you know, is it well-written? Do I think it's funny? Do I think it's in my voice? Does it feel authentic? Am I trying to replicate someone else's style or am I really being me here? Do I think it's going to be helpful? And once I land on all of that, then it's like, okay, this is what I'm putting out. So when I get the Amazon review that says she writes like a fourth grader, which was a real review I got on Amazon, P.S., I can look at that and go, it's interesting that that's how you're choosing to experience this book. But like, I know that's not true. And when people say that's the best book I've ever read, I'm like, I'm psyched that this is how you're choosing to experience it. I wouldn't say it's the best book I've ever read, but I'm so happy that you feel that way. So like mm. neither one of those really impacts how I feel about myself. I need you to be my therapist. I, <laughs> I would be happy to run you through the process. It's brutal and yeah. it's not easy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you look at something and you go, I'm not super proud of that. Mm -hmm. And that is what it is too, right? It's mm -hmm. not where you pump yourself up and you tell yourself it's the best thing I've ever done. It is about being really honest about how do I feel about it? Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I have some work to do there, yeah. but that's amazing. <laughs> it's I a love work it. in process I love always. It. So let's start. And, and no, it's it's a good place to start to frame the conversation. What are boundaries exactly? People yeah. hear the term, but what are they exactly? And why are they important? Why should people yeah. care? I think, okay, when I say the word boundaries, mm -hmm. most of the time people go, Ugh. They're like a cringe. Yeah. And I think people think about boundaries as being controlling, about telling other people what to do, putting walls up or creating distance. And we're about to like dispel all of those myths, okay, right? So the simplest definition of boundaries is a limit that you place around how other people are allowed to engage with you. Got it. So if you are standing in the middle of a room and you draw a big circle around yourself, anything you allow inside that circle is because it feels safe and healthy and good. Mm -hmm. And anything you choose to keep out of that circle is because it feels unhealthy or unsafe or not good. That is your boundary. Mm -hmm. And boundaries are designed to keep yourself safe and healthy and improve your relationships. They're not about pushing other people away. They're mm -hmm. about saying, I want you in my life. Mm -hmm. And if you can engage with me around this limit that I need for my own mental health or energy or time mm -hmm. or capacity, it will allow our relationship to be better, mm -hmm. more trusting, more respectful, freer, more open. Yeah, That's really the point of a boundary. Got it. So I, and something that I talk about in the podcast, certainly with patients a lot is 
mental health is not separate from physical health, yeah. that mental health is physical health. Yes. And I also say boundaries are medicine. They're a form of medicine for your body. So I really wanna, could you make the connection there of, this is, yes, this is relational health, but it's also impacts your physical health. Oh, big time. I mean, of course, what happens in your mental health is also reflected in the body and yeah. vice versa, right? There's a reason that when I'm experiencing stress or anxiety, one of the first things my therapist says to do is where are you feeling this in your body, mm. right? Because there is that connection yeah. and boundaries are a way for you to preserve and protect everything. It's your energy and your energetic capacity. It is your mental health, you know, around anxiety or depression or resentment or frustration or anger, all of yeah. those really negative emotions that can eat away at you. It's about protecting your physical body, your physical space, your money. Boundaries really can help you preserve and protect all of those things while still allowing people in your life in a way that works for both of you. Got it. Have you heard about public goods? Public goods is the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from personal care products, household products to coffee, toilet paper, shampoo, pet food, so much more. Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful streamlined aesthetic. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products. We have used the Public Goods cleaning products in my home, as well as in the Functional Medicine Telehealth Center here for years. I love them. They look so chic, simple, but the ingredients, what's really important is the ingredients. And knowing what's in your products and where they come from is really important. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives that honestly are still common, sadly, on drug and grocery store shelves. They are committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the environment. They use a membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings to their customers. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. Join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched to their new everything store. We've worked out an awesome deal for the Art of Being Well listeners. Receive 20% off your first public goods order. I recommend trying their cleaning products, their shampoo, their hand soap, so many good things. Just go to publicgoods.com slash willcole or use code willcole at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash willcole to receive 20% off your first order. I'm Arielle Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from drugs and alcohol six years ago, I've been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life, and I'm sharing everything with you. From how to achieve optimal health, well-being, and fulfillment, to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures, I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with experts and inspirational guests. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. The person that's out there right now that's thinking, I, you know, they go to work every day, they're with their family, their friends, they're stressed out but they don't even know that they need boundaries. Mm -hmm. Like, so what are some signs that the listener out there can be, okay, yeah. have an aha moment that this boundaries, they should be implementing some. The first and clearest sign that a boundary is needed is a sense of dread. 
It is a sense of dread around a person. So maybe it's every time your spouse says like, hey, my mom's coming to visit. You're like, oh, I can't, I don't know if I can handle that, right? Or Mm -hmm. the coworker that comes to your desk that's always like dumping their problems on you and you just dread that interaction. It's the person that, you know, they're calling and you're kind of declining. Maybe it's around a conversation topic where Mm -hmm. you don't want to go to dinner with this set of friends because you know they're constantly making comments about your weight or Mm -hmm. their diet or their own weight loss. So you can feel a sense of dread or anxiety, and that's a very good warning sign that a boundary is needed. You can also notice where you are feeling moments of like stress or anxiety just in your own life. And that may be a sign that you need a boundary with yourself. Mm. So if you think about a time period, maybe in your day, that is like the most stressful or the most anxiety producing, maybe it's first thing in the morning, you can look at that and go, okay, are there any boundaries I can set with myself to alleviate some of that stress or Mm -hmm. anxiety. Other things are, you know, if you don't like who you are when you're with somebody Mm -hmm. or you feel like you can't show up as your fullest self, you have to like kind of be somebody else or make yourself small. If you never know where you stand with someone, that's a sign that a boundary could be needed. So those are all sort of little alarm bells that can make you think further about, okay, what's the situation here and where could a boundary improve that? This is, a, this is a lot more people than I originally had thought. I mean, that's most of the world that could benefit from yeah. setting healthier boundaries. Yes. You know, boundaries, I think, are such a foundational piece to health and wellness and habit, any habit that you want to create or habit that you want to change. Mm-hmm. Boundaries are this practice that just get woven into every single aspect of wellness. And mm-hmm. they can improve relationships like instantaneously, which mm-hmm. is why they're so magical. I love it. You write about energy leakage. I don't want any leakage going on with my energy. (laughs) I don't want incontinence with my energy. So what's going on there? What's energy leakage? It sounds a little woo, but you know, I'm into the woo. I know you love the woo. woo. Energy (laughs) leakage, if you think about the idea of expending more energy than you are getting back and any single interaction you have, is an energetic exchange. This is an energetic exchange, right? Mm -hmm. But so is scrolling through social media, responding to like a troll comment, looking back through old photos of your ex-boyfriend, talking to a friend or family member. All of those are energetic exchanges. Mm -hmm. And if you are giving more energy than you're getting back, that's energy leakage. And I say the word leakage because often you don't even realize that that's what's happening. Right. There was a period in my life where I felt like I had very little capacity for my husband at the end of the night. I was just done. And when I sat down with my therapist to talk about it, she was like, okay, what's going on during your day? Where is all your energy going? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not doing this. And I'm like, well, guess what I was doing? I was answering every single DM that came my way on Instagram. And she's like, that's an energetic exchange. And I was like, but I like it and it's fun and I like connecting. And she's like, I know, but it's still energy. It's still currency. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're spending it there and you only have like a finite amount and you're not getting as much back because that feels very unidirectional, then yeah, you're not gonna have any left at the end of the Mm -hmm. day. Yeah, and that's an endless pick because then it's the back and forth, right? I mean, how long were you doing that? I mean, answering all these- Not very long, (laughs) not very long. And it was pretty early on in my like Instagram career where I felt like I had to respond to every Mm -hmm. single DM. And very often when I share something that's deeply vulnerable, I talk Mm -hmm. about my concussion or my trauma or my Mm -hmm. addiction, I get equally Mm deep and vulnerable stories back. And I really do feel a sense of responsibility. I want to touch that person and say like, you're heard, I've seen you. And also I need to be able to do that and respect my own capacity at the same time. So 
that was a really valuable learning lesson for, for me. For sure. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Social media and boundaries. Like what are some pro tips for healthy boundaries with social media? Oh, there are so many. There yeah. are so many things that you can do to make social media a happy place. One of my favorites, I used to have this campaign pretty regularly and I haven't talked about it in a while, but maybe I will now. Unfollow Friday. <laughs> Unfollow Friday. Go through your feed and anyone yeah. who makes you feel less than or makes you compare yourself unfavorably or just makes you feel not good, go ahead and unfollow them. It's not about them. It's about you and where you mm -hmm. are in this moment. And that goes for like friends and family members too. I have unfollowed good friends, close people to me. And it's only because at that season in my life, what they were doing, I just couldn't handle. I was going through a divorce and they were talking about their marriage. And I was like, I can't do this right now, mm -hmm. right? So I think that's a really important tip. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of waking up in the morning and not touching my phone until I'm done with my morning routine, mm -hmm. right? So not jumping on immediately to the hit of dopamine that Instagram or TikTok brings you, not getting sucked into the debate or the terrible news that's floating around or the yeah. flame war in the comments. Like I just don't do that until I'm done with my day. Turning off notifications. I have no notifications on my phone at all. And I think mm -hmm. that's really important for social media. Mm -hmm. Technology science has found is one of the like fastest depleters of willpower. Mm. We really struggle to maintain willpower around technology. So as many boundaries as you can put in place around your use of that, whether it means mm -hmm. plugging your phone into a different room at night to charge, which our friend Ellen Vora really loves. Oh, that's a great um, tip. Or turning off notifications can be really helpful. I love that. Yeah. How, do you have a specific time that you're spending on? Do you go by that boundary or what's that look like for you? It looks like for me, and like, this is honestly the first step of boundaries. Okay. I outlined three steps in the book. And the first is sort of knowing that you need a boundary, but there's even like a pre-step, which is checking in with yourself mm -hmm. to say, what do I need? And that's really how I think about my energy expenditure. It's not, I don't have a set amount of time every day because some days I can give a lot more and other mm -hmm. days I can give basically none, but it's about creating time to check in with myself to say, how am I doing? How am I mm -hmm. feeling? What do I need today? Do I have capacity? Would it feel good to give or would it feel draining to give? Mm -hmm. And that's really how I judge where I spend yeah. my time and energy. So you're doing it very mindfully and it depends on yeah. the day. Absolutely. You yeah. So you don't, because I think a lot of times people can get very legalistic about it and they say, well, this is my thing. I'm only allowing myself yeah. two hours. And then they feel a lot of shame, I think, because they're not yeah. keeping up with their own boundaries. Yes. And in some cases, maybe that kind of limit is healthy if it is attached to something that's very concrete. Like I'm only giving myself an hour because I know if I spend two, I'm not gonna get to bed on time Got and then it. I'm not gonna sleep well. And then tomorrow morning, I'm gonna wake up late and won't be in a good mood. And I might not have time to work out in those situations, maybe something like that. But, mm -hmm. you know, really thinking about, and again, the best boundaries are flexible and not rigid, continuing to think about, is this a limit that I need to maintain? And is this the limit that I mm -hmm. need to maintain? And if not, Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to go back and revise it. Got it. Yeah. So what do you say to somebody that is, they keep breaking their own boundaries, right? Mm. They, and there's a lot of shame and, and like guilt around that. Like, what would you tell that person? Yeah. Self-boundaries are really tricky. The good news is that holding a boundary with yourself is easy because you're the only one involved, <laughs> yeah. right? You're not going to peer pressure yourself. You're not going <laughs> to mock yourself. You're not yeah. going to ridicule yourself, or at least hopefully you won't. Like yeah. if you set a boundary, I'm not going to pick up my phone in the morning. You're the only one responsible for holding that. And that is the good news. Mm -hmm. The bad news is that you're also the only one who will know 
if you broke that boundary. Right. And it's too easy to think about, well, what are the consequences if I do pick my phone up in the morning? Nobody's gonna like come out of the closet and smack mm -hmm. your hand. Mm -hmm. um, you're not gonna be fined. And so it's easy to think, well, there are no consequences, but I talk a lot in the book about future you. Mm. What does this mean for future you? And when you think about it from that perspective, picking up my phone in the morning, as soon as I roll out of bed, mm -hmm. has a lot of consequences. It means that I wake up feeling reactive instead of proactive. It means I might get, probably am going to get sucked into this scrolling and then I've lost 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 mm -hmm. minutes. It means I won't have enough time to do my morning routine and that's gonna make me really cranky and that's gonna impact my mm -hmm. mood and that's gonna impact the rest of my day. And so when I think about it from that perspective, it's like, oh, you know, there are consequences to this. And if I just leave my phone away, mm -hmm. I can think about the freedoms that that is gonna bring me. Now I am yeah. free to start my day on my own terms. I can feel centered and grounded. I'm free to do whatever morning routine I have time and capacity for, and that's gonna feel amazing. I'm free to know that I can trust the promises that I make to myself and mm. that I'm worthy of holding them. And then I'm free to have exactly the kind of day I want to because I know I'm starting it out on the right foot. So if you can take that pause and really think about the consequences to future you mm. and the freedoms that holding this boundary will bring, I think that's a really impactful exercise. Yeah, wow, it really is. Yeah. So what do you say to the person that's out there and they're thinking uh, when I, with a relationship specifically, they feel like boundaries is being mean or mm. rude and they don't wanna hurt anyone's feelings. I'm sure that's extremely common. You probably get this question all the yeah. time. So what's the, how do you navigate that? I mean, I think we have been conditioned, particularly women have been conditioned by the patriarchy and stereotypically rigid gender roles mm -hmm. and sexism to not have needs. And if you do have needs, you're supposed to keep them quiet. You're supposed mm -hmm. to be small. You're supposed to be compliant. You're supposed to put everyone else's needs above your own and focus on that. And then we're told if we do advocate for ourselves that we're selfish or we're mm -hmm. called the B word or yeah. you know any number of names, I think there's a lot of unlearning that we have to do there. I'm not gonna say it's not uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to advocate for your needs and to set a boundary. But I like to remind people gently and lovingly that what you are doing now is already uncomfortable. If I am constantly eating my feelings, swallowing my needs, mm -hmm. making sure you are comfortable at my own expense, constantly selling myself out, mm -hmm. feeling resentment and anger and frustration and anxiety, that is also uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So we need to unlearn this idea that setting a healthy boundary from the self, telling other people, this is what I am willing to do for the good of our relationship and to keep myself safe and healthy. That's not selfish. Mm -hmm. That's actually a gift. It is telling other people how you can engage in a way that works for both of you. And so I think it's a constant pattern of yeah. like, this is not that, I need to unlearn that. I love that. Yeah. So we're both introverts, unabashed introverts. Yes. What do you say to all us, our fellow introverts out there that when they say no, mm -hmm. they're called antisocial, they're, you know, people want us to keep going and going and going and we need our refueling time, which a lot of people need that, even yeah. if they're not, they're not hardcore, yeah. we're all humans, we all need that. But especially introverted type people, even me, like coming into the city, like that, there's lots of people that I know here in LA and they, they wanna see me, of course, yeah. and I wanna see them too, but there's only so many hours in a day. Yeah. I know we've talked about this <laughs> over have, the years. I think I helped you with this you like a did. couple of years ago. You were yes. like, this is my, I'm yes. coming into town. What do I say? <laughs> exactly. And I still, I go back to those. So the, yeah. People know this, the book of boundaries is your life yeah. before the book was. Yeah. So, and you're who I asked 
about this. Yeah. So what's some tips for us introverts out yeah. there? Yeah, I mean, for one, I don't actually care what you think of me. <laughs> I don't really care. If I say to you, I don't have like, hey, we're going to do this. And then I don't have capacity to go to dinner. And you think I'm a jerk. I don't really care about that. I'm here to like make sure I'm taking care of my own energetic expenditure. But I have the introvert conversation with basically anyone who's important in my life. So when Brandon and I, my husband met, I was like, here's the deal. I need alone time like most people need to breathe. I really struggle with energetic expenditure. And I when I feel like I've spent a lot of time with people or had to be on, you know, like doing stuff like this, mm-hmm. I recharge by myself. That is the only way that I can recharge. So you're going to notice me spending an hour in my room reading. I'm going to tell you I'm going to bed early. I'm going to say like, I can do Christmas with your parents, but we can only stay for three days. It is not a rejection of you. And it is not about you at all. It is me saying my batteries need to recharge. And I'm going to do this so that I don't become snappy and resentful and mean. Yeah. I'm going to do this so that when I show back up, yeah. I feel rested and recovered and happy. So having that conversation can be really important. I think people think introverted just means like shy or withdrawn. And Mm -hmm. I think that's big misconception. Mm -hmm. And also there's only so many times that I can say to you, I need this for my mental health. And you give me a really hard time about it that I'm like, okay, like it's not my responsibility to make you understand, Mm. right? And how you respond to my boundary is actually not my business. So I'll do my best to explain it you know, as best as I can to the people I care about. But Mm -hmm. then at some point I need to do what I need to do for me. Yeah. And you make it very clear in the book that you're doing all of this in kindness. So can you explain that balance and that duality of boundaries and kindness? You know, Brene Brown in her book, Dare to Lead, had a phrase called clear is kind. And she talked about it in a corporate setting. And I wrote to her and I was like, I want to use this in my book. Can I use this in my book? And she was like, of course, go right ahead. So she's fully credited, but the foundation of my boundary practice in terms of like what you say and how you say it is that it is clear and kind. So in order to set the boundary, you have to actually set the boundary. You can't like hint or hope the other person's going to guess or use body language or like roll your eyes and hope they'll get it. You have to actually say it. Mm -hmm. And also your language should be kind. It shouldn't be snarky. It shouldn't be dismissive. It shouldn't be mean. So, you know, if I say to you, hey, I really need some downtime. I'm going to go to my room alone and read. And you're really struggling with it. I would say something like, I re- I know that you don't understand, but I'm telling you right now, I will come out of that room a better person. So mm. please give me an hour and then I'll come out. And when I come out, if you want to talk about what it means when I take an hour away, I would be happy to. That's very clear and also very kind. I love that. Yeah. So boundaries at work, probably a little bit more difficult, right? Because you have People have jobs, they have to go and maybe they're with people that they just have to show up and work with. What are some tips for people to have healthy boundaries at work? And maybe a more, I don't want to be a toxic work environment, but maybe an unhealthy work environment. Now, boundaries at work are challenging because of the power dynamics at play, right? Mm -hmm. So you have, you know, people who maybe are your bosses or superiors. Maybe your boundary needs to be set with somebody that your boss just likes better or is better at their job or like more skilled or more tenured at their job than you are. So you have these power dynamics at play and you really need the job. In a lot of cases, it's nowhere near as simple as saying, well, if it's toxic, just find another job. Like most people cannot do that. Yeah. So I also want to impress upon people though, that you have every right to a safe, respectful, trusting work environment. I think we all are aware of the concept of quiet quitting now where people are like, I'm going to do my job and then that's, I'm not going to go above and beyond. And that's not actually quitting. That's just setting a healthy boundary within the workplace, but it is a 
fair exchange of labor for value, right? And we all deserve that in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So I do have some tips about boundaries in the workplace, talking to your coworkers, because there's a really good chance that if you feel this way, they do too. And then you have power in numbers. And if mm-hmm. you all go to your boss together and say, hey, we really would appreciate you not texting us outside of business hours. Here are three ways that you can get your communications to us so that we'll see them first thing in the morning, but you're not disturbing our family time. Going back and looking at your HR policies, read that manual and see what the company policy is because that's a really good backup. Mm -hmm. Look for the office diamond in the rough. Is there one person who is not answering their phone on vacation? Go find that person and say, what what are you doing? How can Mm -hmm. I do it too? So I think there are, and you know, a lot of times in the office, somebody's just waiting for somebody to go first. Mm -hmm. So if you can be the one to go first and advocate for yourself clearly and kindly, whether it's around your work time or your personal time or ethics and morals, right? If you're the one who says to your boss, like, please don't pressure me to drink at business meetings. I don't need to drink to be a good salesperson and you pressuring me doesn't feel good. Maybe you're the one who can be the change agent. Wow, that's good stuff. Our next partner has a product I've loved for a long time. It's Athletic Greens. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day off right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, your focus throughout the day, and aging, all the things. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, it doesn't matter. It complements any lifestyle. It supports better sleep quality and recovery. It contains less than one gram of sugar with no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything, while still tasting really great. AG1 is a small microhabit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, health experts. I mean, people freaking love Athletic Greens and for good reasons. Athletic Greens is also a climate-neutral certified company. In 2020, AG purchased carbon credits that supports projects projecting old-growth rainforests. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into cold and flu season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's all you have to do. Super simple. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash willcole. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash willcole to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. People age at different speeds, and the date on your license may not represent your inner biological age at all. If you're looking for ways to extend your health span and slow down the accelerated aging process, the keys to health and longevity run in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to improve your metabolism, reduce stress, improve your sleep, and optimize your health for the long haul. Inside Tracker was created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. What Inside Tracker does is analyzes your blood, your DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise for your body, right nutrition and foods to focus on for your body, and the right supplements to take for your body. It's bioindividuality at its best. 
I love that. I also would recommend adding what they call inner age 2.0. Inner age 2.0, you can add this to any plan for a definitive calculation of your true biological age. You can actually see how you're aging from the inside out. You're gonna be shocked by the results. So definitely add inner age 2.0. For a limited time, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash art of being well. That's insidetracker.com forward slash art of being well. Or you can use code WillCole at checkout to get that 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Something that I see play out in patients' lives a lot is social dynamics with food changes. Mm which as you said, boundaries has always been a part of your work because it's, it's in every Whole30 book. So what is what do you say to someone that eats a certain way, whatever that is, they're doing it for their health, they're doing it to feel good. And then there's, they're called, you know, they're made fun of or they, they feel like they can't fully engage. And I, I love your perspective. It's my perspective too, of just shifting our paradigm around foods and not seeing it as restrictive. It's like a boundary like anything else. Avoiding foods that don't love you back isn't restrictive. Yeah. It's healthy boundaries yeah. with food. It but is. people see it as diet culture and toxic diet culture. But our perspective is nuanced when it comes to foods that don't love us back. We see yeah. it as like relationships yeah. talk that don't love us back that are unhealthy for us. It is. There's so much to unpack there. You know, you can make people feel bad about what they're doing just by by doing what you do hmm. without judgment, without comment, without critique, you rolling up to the bar and saying, oh, I'll have a sparkling water with lime to some people feels like you holding up a mirror to hmm. patterns that they may know are not healthy for them. They may want to change. They may not like being faced with sort of a, a confrontation of that. And they can get really defensive. They can get really angry. They can get really pushy. I heard from a woman who was like, you know, I used to eat lunch with the same group of coworkers every day. And then one day on the Whole30, I bring in something different. And it was like the circus came to town. And all <laughs> anyone wanted to talk about was my lunch. And, you know, Maureen was like, you must be judging my Mountain Dew. And she's like, all I did was open my lunchbox and it looked different. Right. So I think the idea of boundaries around food and alcohol specifically, but even more so around diet talk or weight loss mm -hmm. talk or body talk, they definitely come from the self. And in a good way, they are something that you can uphold because you do have control over what you put in your mouth. So mm -hmm. even if someone is pressuring you, you can still say no thank you and hold that boundary. But it can be really tricky, you know, Obviously, a good healthy boundary comes from the self. It's not about controlling other people. It's about telling other people what you will do. Mm. So you can't make your friends, nor would you want to, drink less or not talk about their weight loss or not eat gluten. It's just about this is what I've chosen to do in this moment for me. And there's no judgment. And mm -hmm. we don't even have to talk about it. Like the less of a big deal you make about it, I think the easier the experience is. And I think boundaries around food and drink are a great place for people to practice. They're a mm. great place to start because I think people think that they're always going to be like mm -hmm. such a dramatic interaction around it. Like, oh, if I say no to the bread, everyone's going to freak out. And most of the time you go, oh, no, thanks. And you pass the bread basket and nobody says a word. And that can be a really powerful and like boosting experience. Mm -hmm. Great. So and alcohol, you mentioned that. I, I I think it was Huberman who said recently, he said, alcohol is the only drug that people think something's wrong with you when you don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> so, a, yeah. We have to like justify not using it. Nobody's like, why don't you smoke cigarettes? Why? That's so weird. Yeah. Why don't you want one? Like yeah. we don't do that. Right. So uh, with alcohol specifically, and you mentioned work or 
like what if you you're on this health evolution and you like you you change you're not drinking anymore what are some things that people can say i guess in that social friend network that when you start doing things differently maybe yeah. you're not going to drink maybe you're not going to have that food that doesn't love you back what are some yeah. words i think people underestimate the power and the simplicity of just no thanks hey do you want a glass of wine tonight no thanks hey can i get you a beer no thanks I think that is like 50% of the battle right there. Yeah. Just a simple True. no thanks. The yeah. phrase that I've been using for years now is I'm not drinking right now. I'm not drinking right now. And that like right now really signifies this sense of A, I used to drink and mm -hmm. right now I'm not. Mm -hmm. And maybe I will in the future. That part is left unsaid, which tends to put make people feel a little less defensive. Mm -hmm. And it implies that it's a conscientious decision, right? I'm not drinking right now. I have made a decision in this season mm -hmm. of my life. Mm -hmm. You can also just say, I'm not feeling it. Oh, alcohol and I are on a break right now. I'm doing a 30 day experiment where I'm not drinking. Like I think these concepts of like sober October and certainly the whole 30 and dry January are so common. Mm -hmm. But I think there are really simple ways that you can just say, no, thank you. And you don't have to go into this like big long discussion mm -hmm. if you want to. If you're talking about friends or family members, you can certainly share some context, right? I haven't been sleeping well and I've had a lot of anxiety. And I honestly think that my wine intake may be contributing to that. So I'm gonna skip wine for a couple of weeks and see if it helps. Mm -hmm. Simple. Yeah. Do you feel like, have you heard any stories from people in your community of people losing friends and like, what's that? Oh yeah. Yeah. What's that All the time. <laughs> uh, I lost a lot of friends. You know, I've been in recovery for 22 years, but when I first went into recovery, I dropped a lot of friends who proved that they couldn't or weren't able to respect my boundaries around drug use around me. And I think I hear from people all the time who are sort of grieving friendships because they realize that their entire friendship revolves around alcohol. And if you remove alcohol from the equation, there isn't much left. So I always encourage people, look, if you're gonna do a whole 30 for 30 days, just find other ways to hang out with your friends. Maybe you're not gonna do a wine tasting with them, but go to yoga, go for a walk, go for a hike, go out to dinner and just don't drink, meet them for happy hour and have a glass of wine, go, I mean, a glass of water instead of wine, go ax throwing. Like there are a million ways that you can stay social with that group. Mm -hmm. But if you find that the only way you can feel connected to that group is mm -hmm. through alcohol, then you have to ask yourself, is this serving like my highest self and the person I want to become? And you do have to grieve, I think, for that friendship. Mm -hmm. That's perfectly understandable. But if you try to stay friends in that dynamic where they are constantly drinking and pressuring mm -hmm. and you really don't want to, that's only going to end one way. Mm -hmm. You are not going to influence them to change their behavior. They are only going to drag you down with them. So wow. for your own good and protection, I think you might have to say, either I need to change how I show up in this friendship dramatically, mm -hmm. or maybe this isn't the friend group for me or the friendship yeah. for me. Wow. Speaking of dragging you down, like people dragging each other down, what maybe it's not alcohol, but it's something you touched on at the top of the conversation is that negative Nancy. It's that person that's always gossiping, always tearing people down, always just is has a dark cloud around them. And maybe they're going through, they probably are going through some real heavy things, but it's yeah. also messing up your energy. Yeah. What do you do there, but still be kind? Oh, I hear so many stories from people, you know, they're the, that chapter in the book with friends opens with a story about, a, you know, to a pair of friends where one of them just realized that every time they talk, the friend didn't ask anything about their life, was going again, you know, over and over the same problems, asking for advice, not taking the advice, and then coming back around and talking about it again. Yeah. 
I have a situation like that in my own life. I did a few years ago where I had a friend who kept telling me about her problems with her man. And after the third time, I said, I'm going to tell you what I think because you're asking me. This is not a healthy dynamic for you. I do not think this person is going to change based on what you've told me. I'm going to leave that advice with you. Do with it as you choose. And I would rather not talk about it again because mm. I there's nothing more for me to say. Right. Yeah. That was the yeah. boundary. Yeah. And I think she's still with this person to that day, but that's not my business. <laughs> and we don't talk about it anymore. Right. Yeah. But you're still friends. Yeah. We are still friends. Yeah. yeah. Because I set a boundary around one, that one particular conversation. Got topic, it. Right? And she was okay with it. Yeah. She was fine with it. Got so, it. you know, I think it can be hard. I've heard Lori Gottlieb say the phrase, I wish I could be your therapist, but I can only be your friend. And that's so good because what you are trying to get across to that person mm -hmm. is I can support you. I can mm -hmm. have these discussions, but yeah only within my capacity. And, yeah. you know, I talk about how to break up with a friend in great detail in the book. If you find that this person is simply not capable of taking responsibility for their own problems, taking responsibility for their own feelings, if you are the only person they talk to and they expect you to sort of mm -hmm. hold them up and they aren't open to taking their own action and maybe talking to a therapist, mm -hmm. joining a support group, taking any one of the actions you've already recommended at that point for your own protection, you might have to say either these topics are off limits or we need to take a break from the friendship. Yeah, So, you'll, but you'll be my therapist and friend, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just joking. I will always listen, uh, yeah. All right. So, I mean, you obviously go into detail in the book for them to see how to break up with a friend, but like, I guess the question would be, how do you know you should break up with a friend and not try to work it out or set boundaries? I think that you absolutely should try to work it out and set boundaries first, yeah. right? So my boundary framework has these kind of increasing levels. I right. use green, yellow, yeah. red, increasing levels of boundaries. So, you know, the green is sort of the first time it happens and you're assuming that the other person just didn't realize that there was a limit or an overstep. And by the time you get to red, you've really tried to hold Got boundaries it. with this person and they've either been unable or unwilling to respect those. And red is sort of the consequence, right? If you are not able to uphold this limit, this healthy limit that I need, then I am going to take this action to keep myself safe and healthy. So I think that escalating framework is really important when you're talking about a friend. I wouldn't just drop a friend because you know they're going through something difficult. And I think context matters. In the context of the story I was just talking about, like this, these two friends, this was just how this person was. It wasn't because they were going through a difficult time or a mental health crisis or had just had like a loss. This was just how they showed up every day. That's a very different situation than somebody who is in the middle of a divorce or going through a grieving process or you know struggling with their mental health. So I think yeah. that context is really important too. But yeah. at some point you get to the realization that I can't give any more and this friendship is wearing me down. And that's the point where you have to say, like, I've got to protect myself here. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the color system within the book, I guess, is the tool, right? Yeah. I mean, there's that allows us to look at the, our own context yeah. and go through those different systems. So yeah. what, what made you, how did that idea come about? That yeah, green, yellow, red went back to my early days of recovery. It must've been 2001, maybe. I was at a wedding with two of two friends. I was by myself. Nobody had known that I had relapsed and was now recently like back in recovery. Nobody mm -hmm. at the wedding knew. And I was getting a ton of peer pressure from this casual acquaintance to drink. And the more she drank, the more like, really aggressive and deliberate she made about with her friends kind of making fun of me for not drinking. It was, you know, we were young and, 
But I was feeling incredibly threatened at that moment. Like my recovery was on the line. I wasn't comfortable. And I started going through like the Homeland Security threat levels in my head, you know, <laughs> right, like, right. okay, so threat level green. I'm just going to say like, no, thanks. I like your dress and I'll move on. And by the end of the night, we were at like threat level fuchsia and I had to leave. I had to leave the wedding because I felt so threatened. And so the framework comes from this idea of, I want you to be able to use as little effort as possible, minimum effort, and still get maximum results. So if I can use the gentlest, kindest language, and that boundary can be effective, that's where I want you to start. Got it. And if needed, because of pushback or, you mm -hmm. know, kind of that resistance, mm -hmm. then I want you to have the language to escalate if need be. Got it. Yeah. So the parents that are listening out there, we're both parents. Yeah. Can we have boundaries with our kids? Or oh, yeah. Is, what's that look like? Oh, yeah, we should too. <laughs> we should. I was, I don't know about you. Mm -hmm. I was not modeled healthy boundaries in my family. Mm -hmm. My family had a habit of just, if it was unpleasant, we just didn't talk about it and swept it under the rug. Yeah. That was how we handled conflict. We just pretended it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. I would love to change that dynamic for my son growing up. He's nine now. So we've been setting boundaries with him as early as possible. I mean, when he was really little, it was the like, I'm on the phone with my mom and he's like getting my attention. And it was, hey buddy, I'm on the phone right now. If you can wait, you know, just a few minutes, I'll be right there. And then at the earliest opportunity, you turn to him. So you're teaching him that like, he can't just interrupt whenever mm -hmm. he wants, or if he wants to be picked up, it's okay, I've got to put this, you know, grocery bag in first. Mm -hmm. As he got older, we taught him boundaries around consent. So when people would visit and they would want to hug and kiss, if he didn't want to hug and kiss, he didn't have to. Mm. So we had the system where we were like, you can hug, you can kiss, you can fist bump, you can high five, you can wave, you can make a funny face, but you have to say goodbye because that's polite, but you don't have to like hug and kiss if you don't want to. And now that he's nine, He's very comfortable setting boundaries with us. So this is my private journal. He said to me, he came home with like a notebook the other day. This is my journal. I don't want you to read it. All right, you got it. I'm dying to know what's in there. I can't <laughs> imagine, but I'm not going to read it. Or he'll say, you know, simple, please knock before you come into my room now. Absolutely. You got it. So if he's comfortable now setting and holding boundaries with us, we're comfortable setting and holding with him. Mm -hmm. I think that signifies like a real culture of respect in the household and trust in the household and that like your needs matter and a sense of safety. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I've been thinking about that. All of that was amazing tips, but how weird is it as a culture that we make our kids like hug and kiss people to say bye? It's like, it's well, a, I mean, a strange thing, right? It, I guess it is, right? Because like we think that kids don't have consent yeah. at that age. I think it's obviously far more in the zeitgeist now to be like, um, nobody should hug and kiss yeah. anybody if they don't want <laughs> That's to. Right. But it's hard because my mom is like, I don't understand. I'm, I only see him three times a year. Like, of course he has to give Nanatia a kiss. And I'm like, he only sees you three times a year. He doesn't have to if he doesn't want to. So she's been incredibly respectful of it. But I, I know it can be hard for grandparents. Yeah. Who, you culture. just want to snuggle on your grandbaby. Right. So but most of the time with the best of intentions. Yeah, of course. But yeah, you yeah. do need to respect his bodily autonomy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, my friend, the, the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. I don't think you did this the first time because mm. uh, it was early on in the podcast. We just started it later. So this is Melissa Urban's Art of Being Well. Oh. I'm going to throw different things within wellness. I'm going to just pick your brain. Okay. You ready for this? I am. Is it like a speed round? No. Okay. I mean, we can just go off on little. Okay tangents. What's the worst tasting healthy food that you still eat, but because it's so good for you, not because it tastes good? Oh, I don't think I have any. Nice. So No, I mean, 
I guess the one thing I would say is like, there are some supplements that I take because I re- I know they're very good for my brain, especially my post-concussion. And I don't like taking supplements, <laughs> but I take them anyway. But I feel like if it's a food that's super healthy and I don't like it, I'm not going to make myself eat it because there are plenty of other really healthy foods that I do like. You hear that, people? That's yeah. the truth. Yeah. And you show how to do that in all the Whole30 books. Oh, yeah. It's delicious. Yeah. It doesn't have to be either or. It could be both and. I'm tr- Yeah, I'm trying to think of like if there are any things that I don't eat because I just don't like them, but I like most things. I mean, I figure, <laughs> I think if you know how to cook vegetables, you like yeah. most vegetables. I love it. Yeah. What are the bad tasting supplements? Any, it's not that they're bad tasting. I just don't like taking them. Got it. That's it. I just don't like taking them. I mean, there was one magnesium supplement that someone gave me at a conference once that was supposed to be, I mean, I know it was very high quality. It was like liquid drops of magnesium. After like three days, I was like, I can't take this anymore. I'm so sorry. I know it's so good, but like I couldn't do it. Okay. Yeah. I get it. I hear you. What you mentioned post-concussion, what have been the biggest game-changing supplements for your brain health Mm. for you personally? Sodium, surprisingly because of my concussion and the resulting POTS or like dysautonomia that Mm -hmm. resulted from my head injury, my autonomic nervous system becomes dysregulated very quickly under, you know, stress and heat and exercise and altitude and a few different triggers. And I have found adding a gram to two grams of sodium every day Mm -hmm. is very helpful. So that's like kind of unique to my context. Um, Fish oil has been really helpful for that. For a while in the earlier days of my concussion, I was taking exogenous ketones, BHBs. Mm. And I also found them very helpful. My brain was really struggling to like get enough energy and those I found provided like a little bit of extra energy. So those Love were it. good. And then I do vitamin D supplements like regularly. Love it. Yeah. I have to say for people that have brain fog, neuroinflammation, any any type of that, all those things you said, I've seen be game changers for people. Yeah. The You take extra electrolytes as well. I think we both like Element, right? Yeah, do I do. Element? I wasn't sure if I could say, but yeah, yeah. I drink at least- The sponsors on the podcast too. One to two packets of Element a day. My physical, in fact, I sent Element to my physical therapist who specializes in TBI and POTS and like post-concussion syndrome. And she's now recommending it to all of her patients, all of her POTS patients. It's the ratio, man. It's like the sodium, potassium, magnesium ratio, I find to be It makes a huge difference for me. Do you you sip on one a day? Do you have two packets a day? What's that? It like depends. If I'm hiking, I'll throw two in my three liter like water bladder. If I'm really hot, if I'm outside, if I'm traveling, I might do like one or one and a half, but I pack them every, I have two in my bag right now. They come with me everywhere. I love it. What flavor do you like the best? I like the spicy ones the best. Yes, the spicy mango. I, ju- I think it's the not- lemon habanero is my yeah, favorite. I so do not good. like watermelon or orange, but oddly, if you mix the watermelon and orange together, I love it. So Pro tip. I know I've become like a little element mixologist. I don't like the chocolate one. I have to say. Mm, oh, you know what? The chocolate one is really good in my mud water in my coffee oh, alternative in the morning. It's That's, delicious. It's complimentary because mm-hmm. the mud water has that cacao <clears throat> in yes, it as well. It's like earthy. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. What's your dream vacation if you had to pick? Oh. I would go somewhere like maybe Switzerland all by myself and I would hike my face off for like 10 days. If I had no cell phone service, that would be amazing. I would have an unlimited supply of books. There would be an outdoor yoga class that I could hit after my hike. So I would hike, I would go get a burger 
and then I would do an outdoor yoga class and then I would go to bed at like eight o'clock and I would do it all over again for like 10 days in a row. We are so much alike. That sounds amazing <laughs> to me. You've thought of this before. <laughs> I, I mean, I usually take like one alone trip a year and it's yeah. always to hike and I that kind of slowed down during COVID. Mm-hmm. But I've been to Norway, I've been to Sweden, I've been to Banff, I've been to every, you know, state parks here in the United States and I go somewhere by myself and I have my little routine. I hike in the morning. And I mean, I hike, yeah. I'm doing 10, you know, 12, 15 miles a day. Yeah. And then I come back and I have my burger and read it. my book. And th- those hikes are a sacred time for you. Yeah. Like even when we were in the same city before you and Boundaries yeah. loved your alone time with, yeah. with God, really. You see yeah. it as a spiritual experience, not just a physical one. Oh yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, I mean, I call hiking church. Yeah. Hiking is my church. I have a very solid, strong one-on-one relationship with God. He and I, she and I, depends on the, the context, yeah. are super tight. We talk all the time. I mm-hmm. create lots of space. He drops a lot of knowledge and information on me. He can be so pushy and it is so annoying sometimes, but I listen and receive messages the best at church. Mm-hmm. When I go out into the mountains, I don't have headphones. I don't have music. Yeah. I just go and I listen and sometimes I get answers and sometimes I say thank you and sometimes mm-hmm. I cry and... But yeah, that is really special time for me. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. And I, even when you said she and God, like people just need to realize, I'm sure that, that for some people they don't understand that, but the reality, it's part of all faiths. Like even the Holy Spirit in the Bible ha- was always seen as the feminine aspect of mm. God. And that's because of the patriarchy yeah. taken out of yeah. our context of understanding yeah. the the aspects of God. When I talk about God. I miss our conversations about I know, God, by the way. I know, you, I mean, we used to talk about God. We do talk about God a yeah. lot. When I talk about God, I what I say to people is maybe God is he, maybe it's she, maybe it's the universe, maybe it's mother nature. Maybe God is just your highest good. I, you don't, you can be an atheist mm-hmm. and still connect with this sense of like your highest good, your intuition, mm-hmm. you know, what is best for you. And so when I talk about God, that's what I talk about. Yeah. I don't care how you choose to interpret it. And yeah. I guarantee, well, I can't say this, but like my God doesn't care what you call him or mm-hmm. her. Yeah. So for me, I think what's important is just, I have this relationship and I get to do it any way I want. I love that. Yeah. Do you think we're better or worse off with social media? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I know they talk about context I mean, and nuance, but it's brought so many opportunities. Like would your business or my business be where it is without social Probably media? Not. No. And it got, it gives me so many opportunities to connect with incredible people that I wouldn't have opportunity to meet otherwise. Mm-hmm. And also it can be incredibly toxic, incredibly draining. The comparison culture is now, you mm-hmm. know, so expanded. It used to be when I was in college, I could only compare myself to like the other girls I was in college with. And now it's like Brazilian butt models, right? <laughs> That's who I'm right. comparing myself right. to. So I think it's really important to curate the social media experience that makes you feel the best. And that is a very active process. Mm-hmm. Do you know what Enneagram you are? Yeah, I'm a super eight. Okay, so the challenger. Me, okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. So that's interesting because they're normally more extroverted in that. In, you would think that they would be. I am. I would like to think that I'm an eight who is like highly evolved. I've done mm-hmm. a ton of therapy. I generally operate at my best when eights devolve. It's like not particularly pretty. We get really authoritarian, really controlling, really like blunt to the point of being mean. And mm-hmm. I definitely can recognize that in my past self. I'd like to think that I don't do that anymore. I'm, how do I say this? I get energy from Mm -hmm. social interactions. This is like, I'm getting so much energy from this. And when I do book events and stuff, but 
I just need to be by myself to replenish it, if yeah, that makes sense. I got it. So yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. Do you know what Myers-Briggs you are? I just went through this with someone. I haven't taken it in a while, but I feel like I'm an INTJ. I think that's what I Hard am. Hard I, but I there are like a few, I, yeah, I'd have to take it again. Yeah, I'll have to take it. I don't know mine either. I know yeah. I'm, I, I think we're pretty much the same. What's the weirdest wellness thing that you've done that you're willing to admit oh. on a podcast? I mean, is it weird? I don't know. Weird is relative in wellness yeah. and whoever's listening to this, so. I mean, I've done ketamine treatments for my depression. I've talked about okay. that before. I don't think it's necessarily weird. No, but, but it's, it's out of the box. It's newer. Yeah. Uh, worked fantastic for me a few times for sure. I don't know. You know, I kind of stick to the basics. Yeah, That's I love the it. thing. I You're don't pretty really mainstream, like, Melissa Urban. I, I don't really try like new yeah. thing. I feel like I have such a good solid foundation yeah. just based on like what I eat and going to yeah, bed early great. and reading books and like, I don't really try weird stuff. I did get a colonic a while ago, which was like, okay. Yeah, would you do it again? I mean, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not sure it's healthy to be honest. I feel yeah. like my digestive tract yeah. is like in a pretty solid state. Yeah. So I don't necessarily yeah. want to mess with it, but yeah. yeah. Got it. I know you've talked about this in years past at different events that we were at, but the conversation between psychedelics mm. and I'm curious, you mentioned ketamine. Yeah. Like, what's your view on someone that has addictive personality traits maybe or has struggled with addiction in the past and the conversation around psychedelics? I know, it's really hard. I went into the ketamine treatments mm -hmm. Like after talking to my, it was therapist, you know, I did it under the supervision of my therapist. We integrated after I was, my husband was with me. I was super nervous because I had done ketamine recreationally back when I was using as an mm -hmm. addict. And I was really nervous about the experience and about it being triggering. Maybe I would like it, but I recognized that this was a very therapeutic usage and I was really not in a good place. And I knew mm -hmm. all the benefits for depression. It was like, I researched it very, a, a lot. And I was really happy to find that I hated the experience having gone back into it. But there have been other treatments. My therapist and I have talked about MDMA assisted therapy. And I don't know, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. Mm -hmm. I think it's tough. I know one or two other addicts who have done some sort of psychedelic assisted therapy. They always do it with great trepidation. And I think if you have good support and you feel mm -hmm. solid in your recovery and it's integrated with the help of a therapist before, during and after, mm -hmm. you're probably in an okay place. But like, I can't say whether or not I'd be triggered. It's hard. Yeah, right, yeah, because most of the research shows that it's, these things are not addictive, but again, it's, there's always that gray yeah. area of what about me? Yeah, like <clears throat> microdosing mushrooms, for example, or even like an ayahuasca journey is definitely something I would consider mm -hmm. because for me, that doesn't feel particularly triggering, even though like I did that for fun a while back, the MDMA therapy is something else. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can put myself back in that state again, even mm -hmm. if it isn't a therapeutic process. So I think it's just good to go into it conscientiously. Got it. What's your thoughts on peanut butter? Do you, it's, you know, it's, it's within wellness, it could be kind of controversial. I love peanut butter. I'll never let it go. Yeah. But what's your thoughts on it? Crunchy. Crunchy, yeah. If I had to pick crunchy and smooth. I go crunchy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I find I tolerate peanut butter better than almond butter. Almond butter gives me digestive issues if I eat too much, almond flour in particular, but almond butter gives me like a little Same bit of like bloating. Here. So I do peanut butter. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's our food freedom. Exactly. Yeah. And I, but I love it. 
I love it too. Yeah. What's your favorite? If you, you crunchy, do you have a brand that you like peanut mm, butter? I mean, I usually just buy like the Whole Foods or the Sprouts brand. I'm yeah. not super picky. I don't yeah. need like the $12 fancy peanut butter. <laughs> My husband... Shout out God to love him. Eats like this. He eats like the Skippy peanut butter. Oh my gosh! Right? And the thing that makes me like so bananas is that my son now prefers that. He'll say, <laughs> "Mom, I don't want your like healthy peanut butter. I want like Brandon Skippy." And I'm like, "What did you do to him?" <laughs> so I, you know, no I, judgment, no judgment. But I find it hilarious. Yeah, uh, the Queen of Whole Thirty. I know has Jif, Jif in her. We house. sure do. Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> if you were at, do you go to Starbucks? And if you do, what's your order? Decaf Americano. What size do you get? Uh, depends. Even the decaf has too much caffeine for me sometimes. So either grande, sometimes venti, sometimes hot or ice, depending on the season, always black. That's the only thing I get at Starbucks. I love that. Decaf Americano. You like their tea? I get their teas. Oh, I don't usually get their tea. No. Do you, do you like tea? I, I love tea. I just make it at home usually. Yeah. What's your favorite type of tea? Mm, there's like a licorice tea that I really like. I have a peppermint uh, throat coat I really like. That like yeah. kind of flavor. Yeah. Ginger tea. I don't know. We have a bunch of, of different teas. teas at home. Yeah. Got it. My son loves it too, which is fun. He's like yeah. nine and he'll be like, can I have a tea? He's like a little English man. I know. <laughs> if you could only use one skincare product for the rest of your life, what would that product be? I mean, you know, I have like no skincare routine, right? Like I barely <laughs> wash my face. Sometimes I moisturize, but like not really. But like, does lip balm count? Yeah, sure. That would be it. The, the listeners want to know, like the latest yeah. pro tips within the oh, wellness world. It's like whatever <laughs> lip balm I can find in the bottom of my bag or like under the seat in my car. You're not going to want to follow me for like skincare <laughs> tip or beauty influencing. That's not me. <laughs> All right. We were going to the super superficial to the deep esoteric. Do you, you believe in God? You have a relationship with God. Do you believe, this is a belief, no way of proving this, do you believe in life after death? Oh, yeah. Any concept through your work and spiritual practice? I feel like we recycle. I feel like we return. I definitely feel as though I have connections in past lives that are like coming through into this life. I don't, that's about all I've thought about it. Yeah. I don't really fixate on death or like think about it. I'm yeah. not particularly like scared about it. I don't think about it a lot, but mm -hmm. I feel like there's, yeah, there's something. Yeah. But isn't that like the great mystery? Yeah, I'm not really supposed to know. Exactly. It's the faith yeah. and the joy of the present moment. Yeah. I, have you ever watched, there's a Netflix documentary. It's not new. It was, I think it's called Surviving Death. Oh. And they take you through different aspects of the afterlife and the research around it. A lot of these institutes and colleges, sure. university research departments are doing research on past lives and things yeah. that you can't explain. And we just don't know. Oh yeah. But it's really cool to see the science around yeah. what may be. I hear store. I see stories on, I'm on apparently the past life side of TikTok because <laughs> I hear stories all the time of little kids yes. talking about their past lives. Right, that's they what's on this documentary. They would never know. Right, World War II pilots, yes. kids oh, yeah. like had detail about his sister and then his sister's still alive. Yes. The kid meets the sister. And she's like, that's my freaking brother yes. who died in 1940. I, uh, shivers. I absolutely yeah. believe that. Yeah. 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 Wild. Amazing. My friend, I could talk to you forever. Wait, this is what we talk about <laughs> off a podcast. <laughs> this is what our conversations are like. So where can people go to get the book? Oh, yeah. All the stuff, follow you on social. Yeah. You can find me at Melissa U. That's my website. And that's my Instagram handle. The book is out October 11th. You can find it anywhere books are sold. Your local independent bookstore, Target, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all that good stuff. I love you. I love yeah. you, my friend. Thanks I for coming you on too. the Thank podcast. Thank you for having me. On your time. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. 
As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those, and I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from Katie. What is your favorite part of your job, Katie asks. Thanks for the question, Katie. My favorite part of my job. Well, as you all know, my day job is not hosting a podcast. (laughs) As much as I love this podcast, of course, but all of the other aspects of my job, quote unquote, is really a ripple effect of my core passion, my core focus, and it's consulting people around the world. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth center in the world over a decade ago. Most of you know that. So from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., I record 99% of the podcast interviews as well as the solo episodes, everything at my functional medicine telehealth center. So that's my favorite part of my job. It's being a part of people's health journey. It's a sacred responsibility for me. I freaking love it. It lights me up to see somebody that's up against seemingly insurmountable health problems, overcome them and start to regain that light in their life and start to get answers and start to get solutions for things that are keeping them back. That, that freedom that they regain, that light that they gain is just priceless for me. So without a doubt, that's the favorite part of my job. And then when you're looking at the people that we get to be a part of their health journey, we're dealing with people with different autoimmune problems, hormonal problems, brain health issues like anxiety, depression, fatigue, brain fog, digestive problems, different inflammatory problems. So those are my people. And they are, many of them at least, are very much, they're very well read by the time they meet me. They're very erudite. They've done the research. They're very, they've done everything their conventional doctors have told them to do. They're extremely um, compliant people. They want to get better. They're taking it seriously, but they're still spinning their wheels. They're still not getting answers. And they're probably better off than they would be if they weren't doing all the healthy stuff that they already know to do, but they're not where they need to be. That's most of the people that I get to meet. So we're not we're beyond the basics here. We're getting deeper. We're getting granular, getting very specific. We're really taking their health to the next level. So it's not have, it's not light stuff. It's, it is very much heavy. You have to hold space for cases that require a lot of thoughtfulness and due diligence and a fresh perspective and proper insight into what needs to be, what needs to happen for them to start feeling better and start to moving the needle for them in a significant way. So it is uh, truly a passion of mine to be a part of their health journey and to really to, to help people that have been for years, they've gone through so much medical gaslighting and told they're crazy or they're just depressed or they're just getting older and they are just such vigilant people for their health. And they've had to be their own health advocates. They've had to be in many ways, their own doctor and figuring out things for themselves because they've, for lack of better words, fallen through the cracks of that standard model of care. So that's the favorite part of my job. And then specifically, I would say labs are, I'm a, such a, a data nerd and I love spreadsheets and I love getting to the root cause and I love seeing that data improve over time. 
I, I love it. I think it's it's it says a lot about our patient. Like um, profession wise, over the years, the past twelve years, our some some of our top patients are profession wise are nurses, people within conventional medicine, teachers. We have a lot of school teachers as patients and engineers, surprisingly, and sort of the biohacking. Uh, mindset. And I found that those professions, when you talk about nurses, you know, people in healthcare and school teachers and engineers and biohackers, they have one thing in common, a common love of spreadsheets and data and getting to the root cause. And that those are my people oftentimes. And then some people aren't health nerds at all and they just want to get better. But I, I think that we have that common love in functional medicine with those people of really going upstream and looking, being objective and seeing those labs improve. And those labs are a reflection of why they feel the way that they feel. So that's the, my favorite part of my job. And I would say the ripple effects of that, I love writing books, but the books are about what I get to see play out in people's lives. So I definitely love educating. I love communicating to people in that way. So I love writing books. I love writing articles. I've done hundreds and hundreds of them over the years. And I also love this podcast because you just speak about all this stuff that I'm passionate about. But the core and is my clinic and then everything are just emanations from that. So thanks for the question, Katie. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back every Monday and Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.